follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. I hope you are all having a wonderful holiday season. Um, we have a very special show today that um, I think it's very timely considering that the the holidays are just a week away. Our guest is Michael Skinner, and we're going to be talking about um, healing the heart through creative arts, education, and advocacy. And Michael's message is is that people do heal through mental illness and through trauma. And um, let me tell you a little bit about Michael. He's a nationally known, award-winning advocate survivor addressing the issues of trauma, abuse, and mental health concerns through public speaking and his music. He has spoken at the National Press Club, was a keynote presenter at a conference held by the United Nations, the State Department, and Georgetown University on the sexual exploitation and trafficking of children and adults, and he has appeared on many TV, radio, and Internet shows. He was part of Oprah Winfrey shows that addressed the issues of male sexually abused as children. His music and advocacy website has been visited by well over a million visitors, and he has formed a nonprofit, The Surviving Spirit, that offers hope, healing, and help for those impacted by trauma, abuse, and mental health through the Creative Arts, a monthly newsletter and website. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Hello. It's uh, great that you're taking the time to uh, share your experience, strength, and hope with us today. Um, I think that you have um, survived so much that maybe you could give our audience a little background on um, how you ended up where you are today. Well, the trauma and abuse that I experienced it came in a very early age, from infancy right up to teenage years, till I left the home that I grew up in, and it you know, it did come at the hands of uh, parents and many of their friends, both parents. And it did impact me in a very significant way. And one of the things that helped me get through that was being a musician. And, you know, that kept me going and being on the road all the time. It just kept me focused and also, in a sense, running, running from what was going on. And I had a good life in music. And then earlier on, I was married, had five children. I uh, was with my ex-partner for well over 21 years. And again, music was good to me, so that's how I made a living as a musician. Then I went into the business end of music, representing others and still continuing to perform, but still always trying to outrun <laughs> the things of the past. And it did impact me in different ways, uh, and one being an alcoholic, you know, not an alcoholic, but a workaholic, when I was younger, I drank too much, so those were my coping skills. Um, fortunately, when I started having children, I curtailed the drinking, but still could not curtail the 
the workaholism, but that's what and kept me safe and sane in one way, but it actually wasn't a sane way to, to live. And unfortunately, at the ripe old age of 39, that's when everything from the past just came back to really haunt me and, and knock the wind out of my sails in more ways than one. And I, uh, you know, I had you know, what they call a nervous breakdown. Of course, I've had some counselors who's called it a nervous breakthrough, and I, I like that take on it. You know, I just needed to deal with what had gone on, so that's where I was given the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress and the depression. For the longest time, it was a major depression. Then uh, when they started finding out the amount of trauma and the abuse I experienced, they upped that to complex post-traumatic stress. And that just, that in of itself uh, did a number on me. And just the way I was treated, how many people ostracized me, I was estranged from family and friends because now I had that, you know, unfortunate label of being called mentally ill. And that stigma and discrimination just made a bad situation even worse, but um, I just just said the heck with it, and then I say that it wasn't so easily done. It needed time, and it needed time to process, finding other friends, you know, peer support, new friends, and also finding some good counselors and things that could work with me and help me to realize that, no, I'm not crazy. It was just crazy things were done to me, and slowly but surely, I got back into music and also became a strong advocate on the issues of mental health and trauma and abuse and speaking out. And then that led to people ask, actually, because it started out as volunteer endeavors, and then people asking me to speak or perform at different things and, you know, paying me for it. So that's still what I do to this day. And then because I've actually traveled throughout the country doing this, and I've just literally met thousands upon thousands of people who have also shared these stories and so that's where the uh, surviving spirit, starting that nonprofit, came about. Just you know, as a way to help, I'm just trying in my own little way with fellow board members and those that work with us to help reduce the stigma and discrimination around the issues of trauma, abuse, and mental health. And that there is hope, there is healing, and there is help. And we do a lot of it with the creative arts. You know, we educate folks on the impact of these issues. But again, we leave the real expertise to the folks like yourself with all the. PhD and all the rest of it, we can, we'll take pamphlets and share information, but we try to keep it simple, but just basically trying to reach out to people that there is hope from that there is hope because this impacts every one of us and, you know, it affects those that are closest to us, family, friends. So just trying to, we we can't undo the past, but boy, if we can help change it for others. And that's, that's where, I don't know, that's sort of what has driven me. There's a lot more to it, but that's really what drives me is to just try to be a change for good in my own little way. How has um, your recovery affected your family? Um, uh, that's the hard part, and and this is why it drives me to keep doing what I'm doing because um, to create awareness, and as I say, if I can't undo what's happened within my family, uh, perhaps I can help others that they don't go down that road. Unfortunately, I was the oldest of five siblings. Um, two of my brothers uh, committed suicide. Uh, I have another brother that struggles with PTSD and you know severe mental health issues and his own addictions, and a uh, and a sister who has also struggled with these things. And they they cut me off for telling the family secrets. Um, and unfortunately, my ex-wife partner of 21 years she didn't 
she really didn't know how to handle this or want to handle it. So she cut me out and then, you know, took the kids from me as well in that. And that just, that hurt. That that was probably one of the most painful things I've gone through. But um, it happened. I, I can't undo it. And through the years, my oldest daughters have reached out to me. And it's just a slow process. Uh, but, again, it's that stigma and discrimination. I And... Sometimes you can't even reach your own family members, and the same with friends, childhood friends that I knew for years who, you know, best best buddies, and they wanted nothing to do with me because of that label of mentally ill, and yet I've never had a history of violence or abuse, and so that's, uh, that was hard. So again, I, I can't change, you know, that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. Um, trust me, I've <laughs> shared enough information and resources and stuff, but... If I can't change someone's mindset or their belief system, but what I try to do, Mary, is to offer these things and share my own story and that of others so that others may not go down that path because that's where these issues impact us in all in our relationships, not just of an intimate nature. I think of you know, the workforce, you know, friends, uh, whether you're going to see a counselor or not, if you haven't worked through your stuff, you're going to end up, you know, running from someone that could actually be good to you because your trust issues haven't been worked through because of the trauma and the abuse that you've experienced. And then, then the stigma and just how you treated. I had a good life. And other than as a child and a teen, my adult years were pretty good in terms of being in music and in the music business. So I had a, I had a life. And then how I was treated because of that label being mentally ill, boy, that just, I, I truly understand what it means to be uh, treated as a second-class citizen, to be treated as a leper, a leper, as an outcast, and it's a horrible feeling. You know, um, I applaud you wanting to help other people because um, it's only when, when people speak out that, uh, consciousness gets raised, and people can relook at their own attitudes and beliefs. And I'm, and I'm wondering, um, do you think it was the fact that you were mentally ill, or because you were a survivor of sexual trauma that that made people uncomfortable? It's it's both, and both. it is both. And so, unfortunately, a lot of us get that double whammy. And that's one of the things I've learned. A lot of folks that do struggle with mental health issues and substance abuse issues. They also struggle with that, and people, they don't want to hear it. I mean, I mean, there's so much news going on today, even you know, with the whole Penn State and all the rest of it, but people, it's horrible, and I'm glad it's getting some coverage, but, you know, eventually it's going to fade away, but people don't want to hear about it. It's a very uncomfortable subject, and I'm the first to admit it is, it's very disconcerting to hear that someone can do that to a child or a teenager. It's, it's just you know, it's beyond our imagination. We don't want to think about it, so we deny it. But that denial is only hurting those that have been impacted by it. So I think you I have to answer yes to both of your questions. The question it's 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 both of those things. But for some reason, I do think there's a greater taboo of speaking out about uh, being sexually abused. And then if you're a male, that just adds another several layers to that piece. Right, because the belief out there is is that um, you know men don't get sexually abused. You know, I mean that's one of the things I was taught um, early on in my career was that it was women who got sexually abused, and it rarely happened to men. And I think it's just because men have never been comfortable talking about it. Right, 
are given permission to talk about it. Because we're told to be strong. We, we get the signals from society, and then yet you hear people saying, oh, we want a, a gentler or a kinder, you know, someone more in tune with you know, their emotions. And I believe that in some people that actually want to see that out of males. But I'll tell you, from a personal experience, when you start to address this and, and reach those goals and try to do that, you're shunned, you're turned away. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a mixed message. So trying to, it's hard for any survivor of sexual abuse, you know, male and female. But uh, with males, there's just, there's a different level to it that just, that, that stigma, it, it, it makes it harder to reach out. It really does. And we'll be right back to talk with Michael um, after this commercial. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our guest is Michael Skinner, who is a nationally known and award-winning advocate and survivor of um, trauma and sexual abuse and mental health concerns. He's been very active as a public speaker. He has spoken at the National Press Club. He was a keynote presenter at a conference held by the United Nations, the State Department, and Georgetown University on sexual exploitation and trafficking of children and adults. He's also appeared on Oprah, which um, has got to be on a lot of people's bucket list. So um, welcome welcome to our show, everybody, and welcome back, Michael. Um, before we went to break, we were talking uh, a little bit or a lot about the the effect of sexual abuse for for men how it's it seems to have another layer to it and I'm wondering do you know the data what's the prevalence of sexual abuse in in men and young boys I really do my level best to tra- to stay current with what I see for studies and all the different research but what I have been seeing in others that they're saying that it's one in six males that have been sexually abused before the age of eighteen and most of them say sexually assaulted. And then there's usually the caveat that they say, and that's from those that we know of and how many aren't speaking. And you can get more information. There's two great organizations out there helping to address this, and there are others as well, but one I would mention would be Male Survivor, and you can Google that, you'd find it, and also One in Six. And these are great organizations, great nonprofits doing, you know, helping to do their level best to raise awareness on these issues. You can also, you know, access these websites from the uh, Surviving Spirit website, which you know, I'm part of. So there are some there are some good organizations and people doing some things to bring this forward. But it is known as one in six. And then when I became aware of how my own trauma and abuse impacted me, I could actually think back, and I still think about it with my own. Friends, and I think of my siblings. You know, there were four boys and one girl, so there were more of us boys that were doing. I think of that were abused. I think of people in my neighborhood, friends of mine that were childhood friends, and they too experienced sexual abuse. And some of them told me at an early age, and then others I figured out later on in life. And I saw the path that they went with the substance abuse, getting in trouble, you know, crime. And they came from good families. And that's the other thing that I try to impart to people. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the parents in that home. It can come from someone else that's trusted and close to them, and it's still going to have a profound effect upon them. You know, it seems like in a lot of cases, I think, like, um, from what we've learned from about what's happened at Penn State and I should clarify that we don't know everything, but it would appear that people knew what was going on a long time ago. And and I know in people and women that I've treated, you know, uh, oftentimes there's been a family member who's been aware of what's going on but stayed silent. Is that common? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, The whole... Penn State, to me, is just a microcosm of what goes on, not only in this country, but worldwide. So, yes, this is not happening in a vacuum. People are aware, and they're just turning a blind eye. I think of, 
And I used to think, you know, maybe it was the, you know, the times, because I grew up in, you know, the 60s. I'm 57, so I thought, oh, maybe that just wasn't the awareness. But as things have come back to me, and I really thought long and hard, people did know back then what was going on in our home, and no one did a thing. I mean, I was, you know, in the principal's office countless times, so all the trouble I was getting into, and they knew that something was wrong. The we, you know, I grew up in a small town just outside of Boston, and uh, the town doctor knew what was going on. You know, the nurse that used to treat us was a neighbor of ours. Knew it. You know, we lived across from the fire chief of the town. Um, diagonally across was the lieutenant and the police force. You know, people knew that this wasn't happening, and you just can't hide these things in a, in a, in a small neighborhood that's, you know, working-class, middle-class neighborhood, you know. It, it, they knew, and a lot of people knew, but so the Penn State, to me, just shows how horrific this is that people turn a blind eye to this. That just blows me away. I mean, I can't imagine knowing something like that and not feeling enraged. I, right. You know, I, I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> At all. Uh, you know, I think that um, as with, you know, all, oftentimes with trauma, um, especially whether it's uh, sexual abuse um, and, and maybe more so with sexual abuse, is that when people finally get the, the courage to speak out, they're often re-traumatized by, well, you didn't do anything to prevent it, or I can remember um, women that I that I counseled uh, a number of years ago uh, going on trial and kind of being told, well, you were asking for it by what you were wearing, you know, and that was back in the days of like the mini skirts and the boots and stuff. And um, I I don't understand why we're so primitive in our thinking about this. And what you were just talking about is something that, that angers the heck out of me because even today with all the awareness, it is still, blaming the victim. They're still blaming the survivor. And, and as, as you said in the trials, you know, someone could have gone through a horrific rape and, and they, you know, they had the courage, great courage, to bring them to trial. And that's, what, you know, that's what's being brought up is, well, what were you wearing? What were you doing? I mean, no is no. It's a complete sentence. You know, but they were the ones being put on trial in the same with those of us who are survivors. Why didn't you run away? If you're a child, you know, that's, it's hard to, what, it's how I think as an adult and how I was thinking as a six-year-old boy are two different things. I, I was in fear of my life. I was scared. You know, I didn't know what to do. And if you have someone threatening you and all the other horrible things that they do to keep you silent, yeah, you're going to be quiet. I remember hearing a, uh, a, um, Police, I believe he was a lieutenant, and, and I've known of him for years, and he tracks down the pedophiles around the Internet and stuff. And he even, I heard him speak, and he said, here he is a police officer, and he has learned now that if his children were ever abused, here, here he is as a police officer and track, you know, chasing and apprehending these pedophiles. If they were victims, they would be afraid to come to him and tell him because of the fear that's put into them. So, you know, that, that was pretty significant for me to hear that. And that's, you know, so, so, hum, so however we can make people aware that, you know, we're talking about children here, and that's why this stuff doesn't come out till years later because you, you're so busy burying it. And that's why we end up with all the little anxieties and all the other psychoses that we have to deal with because 
our minds are so busy trying to you know, suppress these things. Um, was your family member ever prosecuted? No, I. Um, it was both parents. It was both my father and my mother. Both of them were equally to blame with what they did. He um, he ended up dying from his drinking, and I I did approach legal as well as civil authorities on um, prosecution. But you know, they said the statute of limitations had run out and all the rest of it. So, and I, I'm aware that there's certain organizations and things trying to change that in all the states that you know the to amend that so because you only have a small window to bring prosecution forward and as you know most most of us aren't coming forward till years later when we feel safer and have a good place to share about it right right um and that is another huge injustice as well you know um there should be no statute of limitations for i, I agree like that, you know um, I guess before we go to break, I just wondered, um, this is the holiday season, and uh, are people more likely to be uh, abused during the holiday season when there's more stress? Is, is that a time when, when, if you are being abused, is it a time when you're more fearful? It is for me. It's It, it starts right at uh, Halloween. It's a slow walk, and I'll be honest with you, I can't wait till New Year's Day is done, and then I just feel this great relief. The the good news, when you learn about PTSD and trauma and abuse, you find different skill sets and different ways that it's still going to be there, but you learn to cope with it better. So, yeah, the holidays are rough for most of us. It's really hard. Um, after we... Uh... We'll be going to commercial here in a minute, and I and I think it's really important that we focus on the things you can do to cope because you have a very powerful message, Michael, that there is recovery and there is hope, and I think it's really important for us to spend some time talking about that as well. Good. You know? Thank you. So um, we'll be right back after this commercial. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you heard about the EGOSCU method? It's a way to become pain-free based on unique, custom-tailored exercises designed to bring an individual's body back into postural and functional balance. Learn more about the EGOSCU method when you tune in each week to Stop Your Pain with your host, Rick Mathis, director of the EGOSCU Clinic in Austin, Texas. Your questions, calls, and emails are a major part of our program. Let Rick show you how to get out of pain and take back control of your life. Stop Your Pain airs live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today. And we're talking about uh, healing the heart through creative arts education and advocacy with our guest, Michael Skinner, who's been um, very open with us about his own past history of trauma, abuse, and mental health uh, issues. And uh, he has a very hopeful message, which we would like to focus on in, in this segment. Um, we had talked earlier, Michael, about the holidays being very difficult. What are types of things that people can do to cope with, with those feelings during the holidays? Just as something as simple as going for a walk. I mean, for me, that is key. And it doesn't have to be one where I'm trying to burn a gazillion calories, just getting out for a walk. It's important that I don't isolate and I am very guilty of doing that, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that in my journey now I've got some really good friends that if they haven't heard from me, they pick up the phone. And I'll also do the same, though. I pick up the phone or send an email to those that I haven't heard from. I really believe every one of us have creative gifts, and, and that comes in all different forms. And I think it's really important to pursue that, because one of the things when we've been impacted by trauma, abuse, and mental health concerns, we give up the things that we love that bring us joy. And I don't mean in a sense that you have to do it as a professional, but to like photography, crafting, quilting, music, whether playing or listening, art, whatever shape or form that takes, anything that's creative. I mean, people on the computer can do things, you know, reading, getting out and hearing live music, and, and being with other people. So the creative arts, uh, I have really come to believe, is something that's so powerful in our healing journey, and it's one of the things that we neglect a lot, and I've been just as guilty. So trying to find and think about the things that you do um, and also taking a break from this stuff. There's no, you, know, I've, you know, sometimes when I call it the PTSD flu, it just comes over me just like when we get sick with the flu, and I've learned I can't fight it. So if I can't fight it, I'm going to watch a movie or I'm going to listen to some music, whatever I can do to just ride it out. The good news is it doesn't put me in the hospital anymore. It doesn't wipe me out for weeks at a time. I've just learned to say, well, today's going to be a little bit crummy of a day, but I'll get through it. And I and I also find I do a lot of cooking. So if anyone's around me, they're going to eat lots of food. <laughs> so there's, there's just different ways. And I think the key is looking within yourself and being aware that you're being triggered at this time. And maybe you don't need to go to that family of origin or wherever that hurt that hurt is. I, I know for myself, I don't want to. And I know others that don't either. You don't have to go back to those that hurt you. You can sever those ties and find new friends and new family and create new memories, new, new meaning to the holidays. That's what I try to do. Yeah, mutual support groups like for people like are in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous? If I have friends that deal with those things, yes. One of the, and that's a touchy subject, though. I do believe in peer support very strongly. I can't say enough about peer support. Um, and I've gone to adult children of alcoholics meetings in Al-Anon, and that's what started me on my own healing journey. But there's still 
a mindset in some of the AA or NA where they don't want to hear about these things. So if you're going there to, you know, keep yourself sober, that's one thing. But a lot of times they can be very abusive and, you know, telling people to get off the pity pot and all the rest of it. And you just can't get over these things. That's when you need real good peer support, someone that is caring and empathetic and not hard on them. So that has a mixed message. And I speak from experience. I have too many friends that are in AA or NA, and then they end up avoiding those organizations and go to other places to find help. But if you can find one that's caring and loving, yeah, by all means, I agree. Yeah. I think that um, when, when you talk about music, I, that's kind of the part of the brain that um, so many people, um, you know, our memories are tied to music, our it, music affects, affects our mood. You know, we listen to, like, I belong to a gym, and when they play, like, really slow music, it's like I can barely get one foot in front of the other. <laughs> but when they play something that's upbeat, it's a lot easier to kind of get into it. And and I think music can just be such a healing force. I agree. And I've read enough studies. Again, I I don't have the Ph.D. titles and all that stuff, but I do read on the effects of music and how it helps us and how it impacts the brain. I don't retain all the information, but I just read it, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're, they're finding through the studies what I've known from personal experience. You know, there are times I want to put on hard rock music and just, you know, vent and be, you know, be angry or just listen to some good, powerful music. There's other times I just want to hear a simple folk song or even something melodic or a really peaceful classical music. Um, it, so it really depends on the situation. And I just, it, music, it does, it touches all of us. And it really does. And it's the most profound way. And it's, it's one of the easiest things to help you in your healing journey. How did you end up um, speaking at the United Nations Conference on the sexual exploitation and trafficking of children? That um, I have come, become known to different people through the years, and a woman who, was, uh, who had been commissioned by the uh, United Nations to look into what was happening with all the uh, orphans in the Bosnian crisis, they were being sold into, you know, exploitation and she had become aware of me and and she um, asked me to speak at a couple other things and so then she asked me to speak at this because she was one of the lead people on it and she was she was the uh, lead person the press spokesman for Nelson Mandela as well so she was heavily connected and when I said to her, I said, Christine, why are you having me speak on, you know, trafficking? And then she she reminded me that everything I've gone through, I was trafficked as a child. So it was her and her contacts at the United Nations, as well as Georgetown University, who were putting this on, that all wanted me to do this. And it was an incredible audience because in the State Department, because there were well over seven or 800 people within the audience after I had the FBI I had members from Homeland Security. There were CIA people. There was there was every branch of law enforcement because the trafficking is also big money. It's organized crime. So, and I shared my story, but that's um, it was through a connection that someone had was referred to me, and then she used me in some other speaking engagements. And just she said, "You're able to tell your story. You bring out the emotion, but you're not falling apart." So that's that's how that connection was made. Um, how do you define trafficking? 
How is that defined? Well, if you're, a lot of them are using it for making money. Okay, so obviously a lot of these um, uh, pedophiles, these trafficking rings, they're they're taking young children or young teens, and then they're using them to make money. They're putting them into prostitution, or they're they're just using it to make the you know the horrific films that they do and. So it's more that it's being outside of the home. They're doing it for most of them for a monetary reason. Is it different than pimping? Uh, well, in a sense, it's the same thing. But with trafficking, they they can be taken. Say, you know, there's some refugees want to come over here, and you know, they answer this ad. They think you know someone's going to help them get into the country, and they take you know all these young women or young boys and. They think they're coming over here to get a new start, and what they're doing is they're actually setting them up in some, you know, run-down apartment building, and then, yes, they've become pimps, and they're locked into that. That is trafficking. That's part of it. Isn't Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher, don't, don't they have some type of a uh, foundation yes. yeah. that prevent, or is looking into preventing that? Yeah, they they do address huh? that. You're right, they do. Yeah. Um. What was it like to be on Oprah? That was neat. Um, you know, I'm like everybody else. Uh, you, you know, you you respect. I respect people if they've you know made a, a good living for themselves and they're they're well known. But I'm also I was in the music business. I've dealt with enough you know rock stars. That, you know, I wasn't turned on by that. But she actually was a very down to earth person. Even and this was very telling for us and she she was really good she would treated us like royalty she really did and she came out and before the show even started taping she apologized to us and and that was really telling for me that she apologized to us for missing it on how she is you know she's been very savvy on you know sexual abuse in terms of women, but that she has missed this for so many years on what's been going on with males. And she apologized to us. And I mean, that was, that was really good. And she, she, you know, what you see on air is one thing, but even off air, if, you know, someone was breaking down, I mean, she was right over there hugging them. You know, she, um, you know, she, she was, you know, compassionate and caring. So I walked away from that show with a, with a better appreciation of her as a human being. Well, and she's also a survivor, isn't she, of sexual yes. abuse? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of advocacy, what can people do if they want to become advocates? Well, if you've gone through it, just share your story. Um, speak out. You, you can do that in a variety of ways, whether if you just share it with your friends. You don't have to speak in a of a group of people. You can become an advocate by aligning yourself with um, some good groups. There's a lot of great organizations out there. There's a lot of nonprofits and and other groups that are just trying to raise awareness, even in your peer support group. But, but start speaking out about these things. Stop living in the denial because what I have found, when you share, you're going to find these kindred spirits because when they hear that you have taken that courage and that bold step, and they're also going to take that step. And I, I've experienced that 
hundreds of times. You know, I've 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 had elderly men and women come up to me and they've heard me speak and then they'll share and they'll tell me they've never told anyone in their life. I, I remember once a police chief come up and shook my hand. He says, I was never able to tell anyone. He was retired and he, he thanked me. He says, uh, I wish I could have done this years ago, but thank you. So I think just by sharing your story in whatever venue or form, and again, what you're comfortable with doing, because um, I don't think you everyone has to go out on onto the public eye, but even in your own little neighborhood, raising awareness, you're doing a lot. You're reaching one other person. And we'll be right back um, after this commercial to talk more with Michael about surviving trauma and sexual abuse and mental illness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you are constantly tired of being sick and tired, you need to tune in to Secrets for Vitality with Dr. Brian Turner. Dr. Turner has spent years networking and learning the secrets to a vital life. These are secrets your own doctor won't tell you. Why? It's likely that your doctor doesn't even know these secrets. These are not just new secrets that are being discovered. These could be ancient healing secrets that, although tried and true, haven't been applied properly. Listen for Secrets for Vitality every Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And we are talking with Michael Skinner about surviving um, sexual abuse and mental illness and uh, trauma. He's also uh, has been diagnosed with depression and PTSD um, and mild brain trauma, which um, you haven't really spoken much about that. But um, is that related to the abuse? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my physical health issues are, are the result of the trauma that I experienced because it was not only, you know, quite perverted uh, phys- uh, sexual abuse. My my parents were also very, um, uh, very physical. It, they, they were sadistic. It, w- it was brutal. It was brutal. And then, unfortunately, I experienced something uh, in the right in in the legal arena, I was dropping off boxes of food for my kids when I was going through a divorce and I was arrested for criminal trespass. And unfortunately, 
there was a set of guards who were quite brutal to me, and they're the ones who uh, did a number on me and left me with the mild brain trauma, and they also tore out my shoulder. But, you know, you've, I'm sure you've known of how many times people labeled mentally ill, they come into the legal system, and then they're brutalized by those in the, the jails, and that was my experience. So that only made a bad situation even worse. Um, all the more reason that we have to advocate and raise consciousness about this. I think that, um, you know, there's there's so much, as you alluded to, there's so much fear and stigma around folks that have mental illness, but there's so much hope, and recovery is, is um, it, it's a wonderful thing. And given a chance, people do recover and lead very productive lives. I, I agree. They do. And I think, I think of... All the people I've met and know, and, you know, even with what I'm doing, Mary, I mean, there was years ago that I would remember I would hear someone else speaking out or sharing their story, and I'm like, wow, how, how incredible that is. So, so every time we do speak, we're also inspiring someone else, and, and there is healing from this. Uh, I've come to the belief that it will always be with you. I don't think what I've experienced and what others you can just, you know, wish it away. Because if it was so simple, I would have done this many years ago. It's always with us. But I do think we find different techniques and skills and coping. And then also time that it it does minimize some of that pain. But this, but that's where, you know, that cliched word of triggers. Every now and again, we can be triggered by something and it can bring us down. But now, if we've learned new ways to cope and we're aware of it, Instead of fighting against it, just ride, you know, go with the flow, you get through it a lot quicker. And I, I, I know for myself that it's helped. And even, you know, talking with other survivors, again, that I'm not crazy. It's just, you know, horrible things were done to me. And sometimes I'm, I'm having a hard time because something triggered me. And, and the darndest thing to this is sometimes you're triggered by something and you're not even aware of what it was. And that's very disconcerting. But uh, again, just trying to be in the moment and being mindful that, you know, that, that saying this, that this too shall pass. Well, and I think that's a very powerful message because for most of us in society, we're always looking for the magic bullet. Like, how can I get through this and get this over with? And so many things in life, whether it's diabetes or hypertension or sexual abuse or mental illness, uh, there's a chronicity to them, and, and they become part of our the fiber of our being, and, and we can't we can't turn it off. We can't. Yeah. There there is no magic bullet, and and it's a very powerful message that people know that you can experience this and, and and live with it, and and it doesn't have to be your identity. It doesn't have to be your life. Um, it just becomes part of the fabric of your life that you learn how to manage, like you would any other type of uh, chronic condition. I, I agree. We can see someone that's in a wheelchair and we we can have empathy and understanding that, wow, that's hard because we can see that something physical going on there. But we also need to extend that to those that are dealing with mental health issues or you know PTSD, depression, all these things because just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. These are real things. And then it also does manifest itself in physical symptoms as well. So, but we do heal and we do get better. And in each, each year, I, I look back on where I've, where I came from and where I am today. And you know, I'm, I'm in a good space and I'm happy. You know, I, 
I couldn't be speaking to you on this uh, radio show back in, you know, 1993. <laughs> I couldn't have. So it's been a long road, but uh, I don't. It, it does get better. That's the bottom it's, line. It sounds like one of the miracles that we talk about um, in treatment that um, miracles do happen and people get better and they do and survive tremendous things. Um, Hey, tell tell me, how did you come to name your nonprofit the Surviving Spirit? Well, that's been that's been uh, something I have thought about for years because I just I see all of us as surviving spirits. I'm a very spiritual person. Uh, uh, um, I'm not religious, but I do have a higher sense and belief in systems. And I've just surviving spirit. People have gone through horrific things. And what I like to think of them is they're the unsung heroes of life. They're surviving spirits. And to try to give them credit for what they have done, that they have survived a horrific childhood. They have dealt with horrific trauma. They have struggled through their depression, their schizophrenia, and they've learned to cope. They've learned to move on. And, and, you know, they're dealing with it. They are surviving. But one of the things... So that's where the surviving spirit came from. So, and then the key is, okay, you've survived these things. Now we need to learn how to thrive because we deserve it. And so the surviving spirit to me is just saying to acknowledge all these folks that have gone through tremendous obstacles in life, and yet their spirit, as much as it's been broken down, there's still a spark in there. And I, So that's where that comes from. Um, you have a newsletter that you uh, publish monthly? Yes, it's a newsletter. We send it out monthly. It's called The Surviving Spirit, and folks can sign up for it. And I've been sending this out since, oh boy, since I started to learn how to use a computer. <laughs> and basically it's uh, like to share what other people are doing. Maybe someone's written a book. Maybe they've released a music. Maybe they've had an art show. That They're involved in some advocacy you know, I share, you know, people who have radio shows such as yourself. I um, And anything that shows that there's hope, healing, and help, and a lot of focus is on the creative arts, but also if there's an organization doing really good things to help people heal. So it's, it's a mixed it's a mixed bag, but we basically offer a lot of resources, and, so, and it goes out once a month. And, uh, how do people... Um, but what is your website, and how do people contact you or, or sign up for the newsletter? It's www.survivingspirit.com, and they can also Google Surviving Spirit, and they'll find it. And there is a section in the uh, website to sign up. Now, I'll give you my email address. It's Mike Skinner, all one word, at Comcast.net, and they can reach me that way as well. And I'll be glad to sign them up. And we're we're excited because not only do we have a, a really large database that we send it out to, but there's so many organizations, mental health centers, peer support centers, they then pass it on to their listserv, they post it to their website. So uh, it's reaching not only nationally, but it's going internationally. And again, it's just it's just word of mouth, and we're just trying to do our little part to help create a change and show that there is healing, there is hope, there is help. Is there anything coming up in the creative arts that um, that uh, by survivors or that um, people who have survived, uh, who have survived trauma would be interested in 
going to or participating in? We're going to be hosting some more events in the coming new year. So when they, if they sign up for the newsletter or go to our website, we'll be posting those that information. We also share information on other organizations. So right off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of something because usually it slows down about this time of year. But we also share that in the newsletter. So if if an organization out in California is hosting an event, we share that information as well, and we put it up on the news and events at the uh, Surviving Spirit website. So, yes, there, there's things going on all the time, and, and, and that's where we try to use the Surviving Spirit website as a resource for that as well as newsletter to share that information. Michael, um, we're kind of in the closing minutes of our show. Is there... Is there something you want to share with our listeners about um, healing? Uh, this is a holiday week, and um, you might have something special you might want to share with people. Or, Well, it is the holidays. It is hard. But we all deserve to be happy. And I, whatever that entails to do, you know, be good to ourselves because we deserve that. Uh, Find something, create new memories, do something new for yourself. Don't do the same old, same old if it keeps bringing you down. Do something new. Uh, visit with your friends. Um, and if it, avoid anything that's going to trigger you and bring you down. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope all of our listeners have a very uh, wonderful holiday and New Year um, and Merry Christmas. And we will uh, be live again the first of the year. And uh, please uh, be good to yourselves and to each other and um, have a good holiday. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.